Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour, as I say every week, is devoted to learning something more. Not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do, a time for the open-minded and a time for those willing to question what they think they know or what they may believe, those willing to be uncertain for an hour. I am Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment, and here in the studio with me is my beautiful bride, Ravinder. So, Ravinder, say hello to everyone, share your special insight for the day, and please tell the folks out there how they can learn more about our show. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm really excited about today's show, I have to say. So it's one of my all-time favorite subjects, but I'm not going to give anything away right now. So you'll just have to stay listening. Yes, to learn more about the radio show, you can simply go to provocativeenlightenment.com. We have about 15 years worth of archives there. Um, and then you can also go to our Facebook page. Just do a search for Provocative Enlightenment Radio and you'll find us. Any important information that the guest shares during the show, I will post up there as well. So if you miss an Earl, you know, that's the place to go and check it all out. All right. I'm glad that you're excited. It's rare to see you bouncing. Oh, don't be cheeky. I'm always excited. Uh, yeah. I'm a kid at heart. There's lots of things that excite me, but today's subject is has just always intrigued and fascinated me. So, All right. In this week's Spotlight, I wish to remind us all of an idea that I have posted in my office and I've discussed before, one that unfortunately I sometimes forget. The title of the picture in my office is THINK. The word is used as an acronym, encouraging us to think before we speak. As such, the T stands for true. Is what you're about to say true? It's not that hard, or it shouldn't be, but studies reveal the fact that all of us lie. It may be that we slightly exaggerate something, and it could be that we just plain make it up. It really takes guarding yourself from this one because most of us have habits that were established when we were very young. So we may bloviate, we may exaggerate data or information, stories we've heard someplace, and in the end, we're not telling the truth. The H in think represents the question. Is what we're about to say helpful? Now, this for me can be much more difficult than the former. I find that I often say things that are truthful, but perhaps not so helpful. I may find myself reporting on a conversation where a radio guest uh, spoke some nonsense. This is a short failing of my own and one I intend to correct and I have been working on for some time and it's really why today's spotlight. If you're a regular listener to my show, Provocative Enlightenment, you no doubt have heard me challenge guests on this show before. Well, I'm going to continue to ask the tough questions, but I will no longer point out inconsistencies and the like. That's for you as the listener to do. Now back to think. The I stands for inspiring. Is what you're about to say inspiring? This too is an issue where I admit difficulty. Some things in our world simply aren't inspiring, but I will try to find a context that wraps the subject in possibilities that are. This one may be my greatest challenge, for it seems that watching people taken advantage of or played with like they are just tiny gears in a larger machine and are treated like expendable units of gross production and so forth just irks me to the point that I sometimes want to scream, wake up, 
pay attention. Okay, the end in think refers to necessary. Is what you're about to say necessary? Certainly not all of our conversations are necessary, but if you're about to say something that might be the slightest bit negative, then this question is a great one to remember. For me, the reminder must be, just because you are aware of something doesn't mean you have to show everyone that you are. Finally, the K stands for kind. Is what you're about to say kind? In my opinion, this one is the most important, even above not lying. There are times when a little white lie is much kinder than the truth. Your wife might say, how do I look today? And maybe you ought to remember being kind. Kindness is in diminishing supply nowadays. Texting, posting, and the like tend to fail to express our true feelings as often as not, and our society at large has become more hostile and less civil in many areas of our life. As such, the vitriol that one can find on sites like Facebook can astound us. But then we listen to our would-be leaders using profanities, expressing guttural references, treating one another like they were trash. The dignity of the past seems lost on some of today's world. So, today's message is, think before you speak. I will do my best and hope that you will join me. Those are my thoughts, and as always, I welcome yours. There you have it, Ravinder. What are your thoughts? You know, I really like that one. You talk about... um what our leaders and others do and yeah that can just be frustrating but I try to ignore that I really like the advice that you gave just because something is truthful you don't have to say it Um, just because you know some information doesn't mean that you have to share it being kind is really important but I have a point of correction to make for you you yes dear If I ask you how I look today, it can also be a kindness to maybe recommend that I change what I'm wearing. If I'm going to go out, I rely on you to help me present my best. So if I've got spinach between my teeth, please tell me. All right, but honey, you're always beautiful. (laughs) I can never fault you. All right, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Matt wrote, I just wanted to drop a quick note and thank you for your radio show. When I miss an episode, I feel like I really missed something important. I promise not a week will go by before I catch the missed show in your archives. Andy wrote, provocative enlightenment is in a class by its own. Thanks for such great programming. Scott wrote, You're a great interviewer. Thanks for sharing your heart with your audience. Rosie wrote, keep on doing what you do as you are magnificent at it. Love to you and your beautiful family, Eldon. Well, thank you, Rosie, and back at you and yours. And Terry wrote, I have purchased your book, Gotcha. I also have several of your Intertalk CDs. With all of the fake news on TV, it is good to know you are still broadcasting and keeping us all thinking and helping us stay aware. Thank you so very much for your good work. Well, thank you, Terry. Thank you, all of you. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but please keep your comments coming. We do sincerely appreciate your feedback. You can opine by sending me an email to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor. Now to today's show. The Superhuman Mind with Professor Barrett Brogard. So let me tell you a little about today's guest. Barrett Brogard is Professor and Cooper Fellow at the University of Miami. Her areas of research include perception, emotion, synesthesia, and savant syndrome. She is the author of Transient Truths, On Romantic Love, Seeing and Saying, Hate, understanding our most dangerous emotion, 
and the superhuman mind, the subject of today's show. So on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Professor Barrett Brogard. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Indeed, my pleasure. Been looking forward to this one, and so has Ravinder. It's a wonderful book. I loved it. Uh, it's not a new subject to me, uh, but the way you present it is, uh, is thrilling. It's exciting. We like to learn three things from our guests on this show, Professor. What is the message? Who is the messenger? And, of course, how do we use the information? To that end, please share with us what you're passionate about and why. So I'm very passionate about a subject to uh, undergo a brain injury. And uh, some of them uh, don't just have disabilities, but also... Uh, amazing abilities that they didn't um, have before. So that was what what you were talking about is uh, Savat syndrome. So we specifically have looked at people who have had a brain injury or brain brain disease and have developed Savat abilities after after that, and sometimes also synesthesia, which is a crossing uh, an unusual crossing of of the senses. All right, you heard today's spotlight, Professor. We live at a time where people are encouraged to speak their truth, and I put that word in quotation marks. We also live at a time when the country is polarized, perhaps more than ever before. So my question, and I ask because of your book, Hatred, Understanding Our Most Dangerous Emotion, do you think it is a good idea to always express ourselves, even if it means alienating others? No, I don't think so. I think it was brilliant what you said at the beginning of the show. Uh, so so think before you speak and, and how you spelled it out in terms of say just what, what is necessary. Say it with kindness. Um, of course, say what's, what, what's true uh, with that minor modification that I think that that your your wife uh, had a good point that it's, it's difficult to, to know exactly uh, when a little white lie is okay, but there might be circumstances where that is needed. And certainly you're not lying by not saying something. Uh, so when it's not productive, when it's more like going to be either uh, an attack on someone um, that is not a constructive uh, uh, criticism, then yeah, stop, stop doing it. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't say it. Uh, Professor, and, and I want to stay with this for just a minute because, I mean, maybe we'll even ask you to come back. You have so many books. Uh, but I, in doing my homework in preparation, I was really taken by your book, Hatred, um, especially since I think it is so very timely right now. If, if you could, what would you say is the best way for us to diffuse the animosity that seems to exist in, in the polarity in our country? Yeah, I think it's uh, to get people together face to face. That's um, really lacking right now. So in, in the book, Hatred, Understanding Our Most Dangerous Emotion, I argue that uh, based on some, some research that it's when people are anonymous and online and they seek other people who are very like-minded that you get the, the most um, polarization or radicalization. Uh, so what, um, what we need to do is to increase opportunities for people with diverse uh, opinions to communicate. And I said face-to-face -face because it doesn't have to be obviously in person given uh, we still have a pandemic pandemic going on for example but it, at least it's, it shouldn't be anonymous because that also um, makes people feel less responsible for what they're actually saying or doing to others so if i understand you correctly inherent in this hypothesis you just presented is the notion that perhaps our social media is at least partially at fault for the divisions in our country well, let's, let, let's put it this way. Uh, they have the kind of structure that enables radicalization. Uh, they may also furthermore be at fault by perhaps not um, blogging the people they should block when, they, when, when needed and vice versa. But, um, but 
the structure of social media is such that people will seek out like-minded individuals, which means that you're really um, talking to people who have the same causes and interests as you do, and um, and that can that can lead to radicalization. It doesn't need to lead to that, but if you have um, a certain view that say a moderate view about something uh you might talk to other people who have similar views and that can lead to polarization much faster than if you have a diverse group of thinkers correct me if i'm wrong but when i look at that i think you know there are two major fallacies that if we could just uproot those fallacies you know we might make some progress dunning kruger and confirmation bias would you accept Mm -hmm. that as that's that, that those are definitely two uh, biases uh, that are confirmation biases is is definitely at work uh, both in yeah online right so um, one way that it works is also um, in terms of pro making arguments for something so pro arguments so if you're with a group where you all agree more or less it's just a matter of how much you agree or 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 let's say how extreme you are in your viewpoints then. You're not you're not gonna present arguments against your view, right? You're gonna find if there are any arguments that can be made or the, the, the reasons you can find for your view, you're gonna present the, the the reasons for your view or the argument for your view, but you're not gonna consider counter arguments or mo- mo- most groups are not, right? So that's a that's a kind of confirmation bias in terms of uh, just the arguments and reasons that people give right. in group. Yeah. All right, let's talk about superhuman mind. Great read. I recommend it to all of you out there. You'll love this book. It's a, it's, it's a bit like an adventure story. Uh, Professor, we interviewed Dr. Daryl Treffitt, MD, a year or so ago, and I'm sure you know who he is. But for those who missed the show, please define for our audience acquired synesthesia and savant syndrome. Yeah, so synesthesia is when you have uh, a coupling, an unusual coupling of the senses or sensory channels. So, for example, we don't usually, um, most of us don't see musical notes as being colored, uh, but there are a subgroup of people who see musical notes as being colored. And by see, I mean either it can be projected, so outside, you can see it as if it really were there in in the space around you or you might see it uh in this in the same way as if you were imagining it but it's you're not imagining it in the sense that you're not sort of making it up yourself it's just sort of coming to you as you hear say a musical note um so so that's an example of where the coupling of the senses um is different from from normal in the case of savant syndrome um there we have um, very specialized um, abilities in areas like math or arts or it could be science or um, related areas. And and that's something that people either have from birth or you mentioned acquired um, savant syndrome. And so that would be what takes place after, say, a brain, after you hurt your head. So you get a brain injury and, and you might acquire savant syndrome or synesthesia. All right. I'm interested in underlying mechanisms for this, but to set the stage, um, we've had Jason Pageant on the show. What makes his case so special? His case was uh, very special because he literally um, didn't have the kind of knowledge that he acquired after he he was he was knocked unconscious. Um, so um, I don't want to give the whole story again because I'm sure you want the, the, your listeners to go back and listen to the episode. But um, well, okay. but he was knocked Okay, he was knocked unconscious outside a karaoke bar and uh, was still is um, working in a furniture store. Uh, he was a college dropout who was very much just interested in, at the time in in sort of uh, life in the fast lane. Uh, so girls and drinking and um, and after his uh, his brain injury, he developed uh, synesthesia, a very idiosyncratic 
syncretic form of synesthesia. So he was seeing geometrical patterns in response to formulas or in response to um, thoughts about mathematics. So he actually went back to uh, study math in college because he had he had dropped out of college and uh, started uh, drawing what he was seeing. And so, and that's, so, so he, he makes these amazing drawings uh, with a pencil. It's a very slow um, process, but it, it's sort of to capture what he's seeing in response to these formulas. And uh, yeah, so, so he, he wrote his own book um, as well and, um, and wants to, to teach what he now knows about mathematics uh, to to others, so so that's his main purpose or goal right now is that he he wants to teach that to uh, to yeah to other people yeah adults. So if I can you know synopsize that a little bit, we have a guy that had absolutely no foreknowledge. He takes a blow to the head. He comes awake in the hospital, and we could say he's a mathematical fractal mathematics genius fair enough yes okay so now i I said i i like to understand underlying mechanisms so now i'm going to retreat a little bit and, and and instead start thinking about how does someone acquire that kind of information is it what out of the collective so you were interviewed by Deepak Chopra regarding consciousness. And in your interview, well, let me digress. A couple of weeks ago, we interviewed Professor Philip Goff and discussed the idea of panpsychism. Please explain for our audience, in your view, the form of panpsychism that is attractive to you and perhaps you may explain some of the phenomena inherent to acquired synesthesia and savant syndrome, such as that we just talked about with Jason. Or, in the alternative, you might tell me, no, panpsychism doesn't offer any possible explanation. Please go. Yeah, um, so I'm going to do both. Uh, So panpsychism, the version that that, uh, I prefer to think about is that there is a kind of um, mental activity or consciousness, if you will, uh, in in everything um, around us, but that it requires a certain structure and organization to actually make up a mind. So, so even if we can, in a few years, um, detect you know the the conscious uh, matter in a stone, that, that sounds uh, almost silly, right? But but there are actually neuroscientists who believe that they, that we can actually we will be able to measure um, some kind of uh, conscious consciousness waves or something like that uh, eventually in um, in things yeah like like a rock or a stone or something that's not alive. Um, okay. But this is Please a theory continue. of yeah. This is a theory of consciousness, so it doesn't at this point offer an explanation of um, the brain as such. In fact, that might be what's missing in panpsychism uh, because while we can have theories about how consciousness is structured, um, we don't know exactly what it is that happens when, when, say, a brain, right, a brain comes together in the way that that's structured. And suddenly we have a thinking individual. So no panpsychist that I know of would, would want to say that that a rock or a stone thinks, right, or, or has thoughts or has emotions. So so we don't we don't have. It's possible one day that we can use that to explain a lot of phenomena, but it's uh, it will it will not be an explanation of what happened in Jason Patton's case. Okay. Again, I'm going to summarize and make sure I've got this right. Um, the universe is intelligent in some way. Conscious is, so I'll save that word uh, for when it emerges. Um, but it is intelligent in some way. It, 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 all things, an atom carries with it a certain intelligence. 
You agree or disagree? I, I agree in a broad sense of intelligence. Yes. Okay. Okay. And that's what I mean. So <clears throat> there is this field of information in the universe. And it can be in an atom, an electron. It can be in some higher order mechanism or it can exist in a human being or an animal. Uh, the, the emergent property conclusions that so many mechanists want to put on what consciousness is. Uh, is it possible in your mind that it is from this field that a pageant would gain the kind of information that he gained from a blow on his head? No, I, I don't think so. Um, that's because that wouldn't be an explanation because when you're a panpsychist, you, what you're saying is basically that you have this, uh, what you say, the universe is intelligence or you have consciousness in things that are not alive. Um, but that puts all of us on a par. So when I hurt my head, if I hurt my head, or if you hurt your head, um, you would also have the same uh, intelligent universe around you. So it doesn't by itself explain uh, why we get these emerging ability, new abilities that Jason Padgett has uh, to account for that. I think that we need to, to look more specifically at what happens in the brain. All right, we've got a hard break in front of us. When we come back, I'm going to ask you more about, uh, let's, let's just say I'm going to ask you about the collective unconscious ideas of Carl Jung and pick up this notion of the mechanism underlying acquired savanthood. All right, we're speaking with Professor Barrett Brogard about her work and book, The Superhuman Mind, Free the Genius in Your Brain. It is a great read. I highly recommend it. You can learn more about our guest and her book by visiting, uh, get this one, this is a long one, I'll have Ravinder post it uh, on uh, Provocative Enlightenment's Facebook page. But here you go, sites.google.com forward slash site brogard b forward slash home. That's a long one. The other thing you can do is just Google Professor Barrett Brogard, and you'll get her book uh, and, uh, and, and her website and, and a lot of other information. All right, do please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicky wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you just joined us, we're chatting with Professor Barrett Brogard about her work and book, The Superhuman Mind, Free the Genius in Your Brain. It is a great read. And the subtitle, Free the Genius in Your Brain, that's a how-to. Awaken some of these extra special skills in your own mind. And we'll get into that in this next half of our show. But first, every week we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some real meaning to them. 
By now you know music psychology is a hobby of mind and a field of research with practical relevance in many areas, including intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. Now your chosen music professor is Digital Witness by St. Vincent. Please tell us, why is this music important to you? And more importantly, how does this inform us about who you are? I think it's, uh, to me, it's inspiring. Uh, so I, um, I'm of the belief that there might be different types of music that might be the right kind of music to inspire each individual. And sometimes when I hear um listen to music and I feel like uh, that inspires me to do to be creative or to write um, and I, I sort of take note of that and and use it actually then when I have to write and be creative uh, so so that's not to say that that the same piece of music will inspire everyone but uh, it's a good idea to find out um, if there is some music that inspires you and to be creative in your own field well, it puts a bounce in my step. Does it do that for you? Yeah, it does. Uh, more in my in my mind, a bounce a bounce in my mind. <laughs> um, That's cool. So yeah, it, in that sense, it's it, it makes me want to think about things. All right, we have some concurrent theories here that I want to put on the table, and I warned you about. Uh, didn't warn, but mentioned that I would be asking you when we come back from from the break. One of them has to do with the collective unconscious of Carl Jung. Um, another is the emergent property theory that we become conscious as a matter of emergent properties. Uh, and still another is somehow the tabula rasa, that blank slate, isn't really blank at all. It contains all this information. It's just we need to find its physical location in some way and excite it. And we could all be sovereigns. Take that on. And if you will, please explain what your best theory is at this point in time in how we acquire or where this acquired information actually originates. So in, in the case of mathematics in particular, um, the, the information um, that, we, that we are looking at, so the skills, right, the ability to, to do mathematics uh, is something that doesn't, strictly speaking, require learning. Uh, and what do I mean by that? Because we all go to school and learn math and so on. Uh, what I mean by that is that it's uh, supposed to be that... Um, if you had enough insight, right? If you had, if you could manipulate numbers in your mind really, really, well, really well, you would, by just reflecting on, on say, numbers, uh, say a, a, a large prime number, you would, by reflecting on it, you would be able to tell that it's a prime number. Of course, most of us don't have that ability, uh, but apparently, some people with savant syndrome do have that ability. So, in mathematics, it's also said to be a priori or or prior to experience, which is what that means. So there is a kind of insight that you, in principle, could have without learning it. Um, so yes, like that could lead, that could lie um, beneath uh, the, the the abilities that are acquired in acquired savant uh, syndrome. Although probably some of it is uh, has to do with um, with access to a new way of of manipulating information, new information that, that the individual gets later on. Okay, I, I think in, in your book, uh, and I've got your book right here, it's all marked up and lined in yellow, but in your book you talk about electric and magnetic stimulation, having the capability to induce solvent-like skills in ordinary folks by inhibiting left-brain control centers. Please unpack that for us. Okay. Yes, uh, that's some very interesting work that uh, has been done um, uh, by also by, by, by uh, a researcher in Australia. Basically, the idea is that in most people, uh, the left side of the brain 
specifically um, the frontal parts of the brain, so the left prefrontal cortex, is controlling um, our creative uh, area. Uh, so it's putting a, a break on our creativity. Um, now, why is it doing that? It's doing that because creativity um, is thinking outside the box, uh, which usually or in most situations is not required. In fact, it's better to think inside the box in most situations. So, for instance, if you have been taught how to drive on ice, right? If uh, you, like me, grew, I grew up in Denmark, uh, with a lot of ice. So when I learned how to drive, we had to drive, a, you know, have a special course on how to drive on ice. If you've been taught that, it's better just to stick to that what you've been taught, right? Don't, don't start to experiment with new things if you're suddenly on an icy road, um, because that, that will get you nowhere. Just stick to what, what, you, what you have learned. Um, and so, so that's, uh, that, that's an example of where um, the things that you, you have learned, you, you stick with that um, going forward. So, and for most people, the left hemisphere is the dominant hemisphere, most people, right-handed people at least. Um, what you're suggesting is that since it's logic and reason and rule-oriented, it actually inhibits the ability to access that this information is somehow in the right hemisphere? Did I get that right? Yeah, so it, what it does is that it... Um it inhibits or puts a break on the information that that or the the abilities uh, of the brain to be creative and think outside the box right so you might want to try something new when you're writing or composing music but not when you're driving on ice uh so so the brain in most circumstances is better off not being too creative it's better off to be rational right and whereas creativity is sometimes um opposed to as it's or put at, at, at the opposition of rationality. And in some sense, it, it, you can think of it that way, right? Because the rational conscious thing to do in most circumstances is to, to not do what's creative, right? It's to do what you know works, right? Instead of doing something new. So through evolution, uh, we have this prefrontal left area of the brain putting and in, inhibiting um, the creative areas of our brain and when that is hurt when you hurt the area in the left part of the brain um what you're doing is that you no longer have that controlling bossy part of your brain that's or at least it's not as controlling as it was before right so it's not no longer inhibiting or controlling uh it's no longer putting a break on on your creativity creativity and so you may be able to use your creative areas of the brain better. Okay, now left-right brain dichotomies, I'll use that. Um, they're not as strict as maybe, you know, Professor Robert Ornstein wanted them to be when he first set this this model out. Uh, we've no. learned, you know, top-down models and, and all sorts of other models. But doesn't it seem counterintuitive that mathematics, a left brain skill, is somehow acquired by entering the right hemisphere? So when I said that, that the, the left, and I agree with you, of course, that when we talk about left hemisphere skills, we're not typically talking about the left hemisphere being solely involved in that skill. But it's it's also not the case that everyone gets, uh, say, a, a blow to the left side of the brain and then they develop creative abilities. And Jason Patrick, it was actually the other way around. So uh, he had uh, more of a blow to the to the right side of the brain and um, and something reorganized in in his parietal cortex. At least that's the theory. Um, and well, we've evidence that he definitely developed abilities uh, to do something that he wasn't able to do before. So, so it's not always the case that that's it's not the only mechanism that can account for the different savant abilities. Uh, but it is one that explains the cases you describe from my book, uh, where you use a kind of magnetism um, 
transcranial magnetic stimulation to induce savant skills in normal individuals. You do that by making them um, less inhibited. All right. The title of your book, I think very provocative, by the way, but it's a great book, uh, leaves a basic question. And I and we've kind of hinted at that. So can we all become geniuses, Professor? Uh, unfortunately, not yet. Uh, so you don't want to hurt your head on purpose to the hope that you, you get to savant skills. So we, we don't really know yet how to uh, do it, in how to invoke the savant skills, except with uh, transcranial magnetic stimulation. So that's one way we have done it. Um and similar ways, like like the other ways to use electricity in the same way to uh, unlock some abilities. But it's very temporary. So when you use transcranial magnetic stimulation to unlock some of people's abilities, it, it, it doesn't last, right? So, so it's, um, you inhibit the left um, frontal area of the brain and maybe you get some abilities that lasting um, 10 minutes or 20 minutes and then it's gone. So we don't know how to permanently unlock those abilities uh, yet, but it seems that, that we can do it temporarily. So the subtitle, Free the Genius in Your Brain, is that just a teaser or are there steps, ways that we can enhance our cognitive abilities or our, our creative abilities, artistic, etc., um, approaching uh, at least headed in the direction of some of these skills outlined in your book that Savants and synesthesia uh, experience. Yeah, so so we um, so we do look at whether you can actually train people to become become synesthetic, um, and and it turns out that uh, there's there's a sense in which you can train people to become synesthetes in the sense that they, they do get to, we were, we were looking at gra grapheme color synesthetes. They are the ones that see um, letters and numbers uh, that are printed in black um, as having different colors. And, and so we and several other labs um, took some ordinary individuals and gave them sentences where the different letters were printed in different colors. And so they were just reading books uh, with, um, say, A always painted in red, or the number five always painted in blue, or the letter L always painted in uh, yellow. Um, and after they had sort of done that for a, a few weeks, they, they did pass some of the tests for synesthesia, although we have, through later studies, found out that we probably will take... Um, will take a longer or uh, a longer study, but also uh, more motivated individuals. So one problem with the existing studies is that if people are not motivated to read those books, for example, um, then they're not going to develop the new skills because the motivation obviously drives uh, right. gaining new skills. So um, what we say in the book, yeah, that works, but it works better if you have the motivation and and that's not always the case when you do psychology or philosophy or cognitive science um, experiments you usually get some some students who have to uh, participate in some research for credits uh, and they're not very mo motivated to do it but they're going to do it because that's what's required of them for them to graduate and so so, so you, do, you don't get the motivation. And one element that we've seen in Derek Amato and Jason Padgett and other subjects is that their motivation shifted. So Derek Amato, who suddenly could play the piano after he hurt his head, um, he, he, gained, he gained something other than a skill. He also gained like huge motivation. He was drawn to playing the piano afterwards. And so... So it's a little hard to to get the ideal conditions, but we do we do show like how to do it yourself um, uh, if you have the motivation. But that's that's the that's the element that that sometimes we don't, we can't get that in an ordinary laboratory study. Right, uh, Professor, I've heard that 
um, doing something like um, practicing the Lucier color test and reading only colors um, assists in um, what eliciting um, a greater activity in the non-dominant hemisphere. I've also, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of studies and research, including you talk about it in your book, where the deprivation of a sense leads to the acquisition of a new sense. In fact, you start your book, uh, I believe, with an account of many hidden abilities that lie within us, uh, such as echolocation or compensations for face blindness. What, I mean, when you think of these things, does it do us any good to, as uh, one director of an ashram once told me, to blindfold yourself and spend half a day as though you were blind? Uh, Does it do any good to practice trying to deprive a sense in order to elicit a new one? Yeah, that depends on what what your goal is. So there are people who wanted to uh, develop echolocation, but they were seeing individuals, so uh, they did blindfold themselves, uh, and and that helped them develop the ability to echolocate, uh, where you can use sounds, the echo. So so something um, when sound is traveling and it hits like a, a, a house or whatever is nearby and it travels back to you, you get used to hearing that echo uh, and can convey or commute that into a certain distance that that house is a certain distance from you. So over time, you can develop that much better if you can blindfold yourself while learning it. Uh, But it may not be the thing that you are trying to learn, right? It could be that you're trying to write poetry, then that might not be the best skill that you want to develop. So we look at at different skills throughout the book. Uh, We also look at some people who have um, tried to acquire um, the perfect pitch that uh, enables some musicians to be really, really good. So perfect pitch is when you can actually just name, um, if somebody plays you a musical note, you can... um, you would be able to name the note without a reference frame, so without having heard the nearby note first or something like that. Um, so so, that, so that's an example of where synesthesia does help. All right, Professor, one of the, the stories that I read in your book that I found really intriguing is about the snake that you came across in a rainforest. Share the story with us, and if you will, explain what happened and why. Sure. Yeah, so I have uh, I have a, a form of uh, synesthesia. Uh, I, it's fear. It's fear to uh, color, motion, rotation synesthesia. So what, I've had it as long as I remember. And when I, as I got older, um, it, it has taken more fear or greater, uh, more higher intensity fear to, to actually get this um, imagery. It's not imagery because for me, it's not even inside my mind. It's, it's directly like in my visual field, but it's imagery in the sense that, of course, it's not actually there. But I, I had had that for many years. As I said, I don't remember not having it ever. Uh, and I was in Australia doing some uh, a postdoc, and I was uh, hiking um, in in. Um, on the east coast of Australia, uh, in a rainforest, and there were lots of little um, black and brown, very uh, venomous snakes. Almost everything in Australia is venomous. Uh, but I was also used to that at that point. I'd been there for quite a while, and and I usually just knew how to walk around them or throw a little stick next to them so they would like move move out of the way. Uh, but suddenly I had this uh, rotation in a specific color uh, blocking my visual field. So some rotation with texture to it uh, is always bluish green. Uh, And it started blocking my my field of vision. And I knew what it was, except what was very puzzling to me was that I didn't feel any fear. So I didn't have any fear. So 
then after a while, sort of, um, I was able to sort of, I must have calmed down because I must have had like a fear response in the body, but I didn't feel any fear. So then I uh, was able to see clearly again. And there was actually a snake very close to me. So, uh, so what seems to have happened is that the snake has act- had activated my fear synesthesia uh, without actually activating my fear. So I like to, to tell people that my synesthesia saved my life. Um, of course, I don't know what would have happened otherwise, but it did uh, alert me very quickly to the presence of a snake, um, which was interesting. Most, most interesting. You know, we're about out of time. I've got so many more questions. You know, the five-finger piano study where they imagined and it was as effective as actually doing it. I've got so many more questions. Uh, I'm going to ask my staff to have you come back. But in 30 seconds, Professor, tell our audience how they can learn more about you. So... um... There's, I have a website, but I also have uh, a blog that's called The Superhuman Mind on Psychology Today. And for those of you who are perhaps more interested in emotions, I also have a blog on Psychology Today called The Mysteries of Love. Uh, so the, so one is literally named after the book, The Superhuman Mind, and the other is um, The Mysteries of Love. And um, I, I try to block regularly, uh, except sometimes I have deadlines. So, um, but that, that's that quite a few posts up there. Um, they do not; they're not all about the superhuman mind. Or, or all right, I'm, I'm sorry, I've got to cut you off. The book, <laughs> the superhuman mind, free the genius in your brain, is a great read. It's a must read. Go get the book. I want to thank you for sharing your work and experience with us, Professor. And we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. Until then, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.